Hello, Rachel. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, Rachel, it's a it's a new age. We're in some uncharted territories for this podcast. It's been so long. The minefield from the last war. Oh, wow. The mistakes were made. Ancient mistakes. Mm-hmm. One of the first of very many mistakes. Pride. Pride. Oh, did you know that's a sin? Mm-hmm. You can't do sins if you're trying to become a god. Mm-mm. We're Yum Yum Podcast, the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in the entire world. That makes <laughs> us... What? Am I wrong? It's just defunct. Sorry. What do you mean? We're, we're the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in the entire world. Nobody else in the world is doing it. It's just us. We're just some. We're just a pack of aborigines just trying to figure it out. Oh, I've got. That was a line of dialogue used in third space. Oh, third space. Third space. Yeah, we're talking about one of the Babylon Five movies. And being a rewatch podcast, it means that we have seen these things before. But Rachel has not seen every single Babylon Five movie. But we no. will find out if Rachel's seen Third Space. Uh, now. Everyone, everyone out there listening is clamoring, clamoring, wanting to hear from you, no. Rachel. Why no, we're called Yum Yum Podcast? Why? Well, I think I think most of the people listening Mm-mm. already know why we're called Mm-mm. Yum Yum. So I'm not going to go into too much detail, okay, Ryan? I'm going to gamble that 90% of the people listening to this are first-time listeners because Third Space is such an entry in Babylon 5 that it would just swarm in new people to listen to this podcast. When they're typing into their podcast hosting site of choice and or YouTube... Babylon 5. Shut up. They're, they're skipping Shut over up. Coming of Shadows, Twilight, Long Twilight Struggle. Please. Point of No Return. They're going straight for the third space commentaries and reviews. Shut up. All right. Yum Yum is from Star Trek Discovery. That's it. It was a line. Ryan became obsessed with it because it's utterly ridiculous. And... He decided that that's what we were going to call our podcast. So on this particular entry of Yum Yum 5, we are looking at the TV movie Third Space. And Ryan has the joy of reading out the DVD description. Well, I've looked over the DVD from back to front, and it does not have a DVD description for Third Space. So IMDB, the blasphemous place where I upload a lot of screen caps to, and uh, not for Third Space yet, though. No, we, uh, we, we did read the descriptions from IMDB for Star Trek Discovery. Because we, don't, we wouldn't dare own the physical media of that <laughs> series. But we do have the physical media for the movies, but they don't have all of that spit and polish of uh, the uh, TV series itself. So the description, according to somebody on IMDb, is very short and simple and to the point. The crew of Babylon 5 discover an ancient artifact floating in hyperspace. Ooh, Ooh, IPX is back. 
and I have seen all of the movies. I am a, I have consumed them all, but uh, to go over the history again for those who are new, and I haven't mentioned it in a while, but here in Australia, the physical release of the Babylon 5 DVDs was quite uh, tumultuous, prolonged, lots of long breaks, and it was very difficult to find the movies and if you could, it was like finding the Holy Grail. And if you could find it, they were very expensive. So I did not attain the movies until quite some time after having viewed these series from back to front over and over again. And so the movies have always had this lackluster quality to me where they're not mm. really changing the game enough. And I haven't found them to be something that I want to revisit all that often. Maybe on on the special occasion, if we're watching it with somebody else and it's their first time, we'll chuck in a movie or two. Or when I was watching them, watching the series with you, and oh, we've got the movies now, let's watch some of the movies. But Third Space, I recollect being one of the few that I liked overall. Didn't love, but liked. Most of my reactions to the movies are middling, some of them I loathe and hate. Some of them I feel embarrassment from watching, but Third Space has always held a special place in my heart as one of the TV movies where I nod along going, yeah, this could have been a pretty good couple of episodes of the show. You could see some of the ideas of this TV f movie being sprinkled in through the seasons, and it's all just put into this 90 minutes. Uh, now, Rachel, for you, uh, is this one of the TV movies you you have watched before? I have watched it before. I remembered basically nothing, though. And then as I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's where that from. That's just seeped into my brain as that's B5. YPX is a multi-planetary corporation. We have agreements with over a half dozen alien governments, allowing us movement across their borders without restrictions. We can explore any world, provided we guarantee access to whatever we find. You see, there's politics and there's business. This is business. Your problems have nothing to do with us. What is your overall impressions of the movies in terms of your relationship to their quality. I went over mine a bit, but what about you? It's very similar. Some of them are garbage. Some of them are okay. None of them are great. But there are, are parts of them. I wouldn't say that there's a whole one that I love, but there are aspects to a lot of them that I hold dear. Near and dear. And uh, Third Space, for you, how did it uh, hold up on this revisit? What did you think? It was okay. Like, it was just fairly mediocre, and I couldn't quite decide why it wasn't pulling me in as much. Like, if this had been a double parter, I wonder how I would feel about it compared to it being a TV movie. I was like, why doesn't this feel right? And I, I think one part of it is that it 
is sort of floating in the timeline. Like it's designed so that you can just watch it whether you've watched B5 or not. Yes, correct. And that means that there's a lot of expo dumps and... Uh, Lots of JMS saying, yes, this is where it is in the timeline, um, nerds. And other kind of tropes thrown in to speed up things. So it doesn't feel as solid in the characters because of that. And I think that made me feel a bit disconnected because it's just like they feel like them but not fully like them because it can't be anchored too specifically. Because you've got to get in new viewers. That's a part of the goal because I can understand some people scratching their heads at why we're watching this in the order we are because from my understanding, uh, this was during the TNT years, so season five. So Babylon 5 uh, was originally going to finish up in season four because of the network it was currently on was was closing down itself. And then it surprisingly got picked up by another place, TNT. And that came with a whole bunch of things, a deal for some TV movies, eventually the spin-off series Crusade. And so the TV movies are their own thing and they fit in weirdly if you're ever trying to do a rewatch. And we decided we're going to slot them in in certain places that we found in terms of viewing orders online because, in all honesty, the way that they were originally aired would be very boring to me of almost finishing the show and then just chucking in like three or four movies randomly. And so I was curious also to watch Third Space where it is chronologically speaking in terms of the series. And uh, it has some things that work about it and some things that is noticeable as as well about, hmm, you can tell that JMS has had a different uh, headspace writing this than where he is in season four. And yeah. so I find that very interesting. Now, I was on board for third space and then I got tired. I just lost interest over the it course just, of the 90 minutes. Like it kept going and I'm like, it is a movie, but the pacing of it wasn't quite movie-like enough, which, if I remember correctly, was a similar problem to what we had with The Gathering. Oh, but this has better pacing than The Gathering. Yes, yes, I said similar. Like, we had pacing issues with The Gathering and with this. That's the comparison that I want to make. Um, That I was doubting myself that we said that originally. Mm-hmm. The Gathering is paced far worse. This does pick up in points, but it feels a bit more, I guess, um, yo-yo-y. I was wondering why this was losing me. And I could tell it was losing you as well when we were watching it. And then... Some scenes happened, and it all came together for me. There was there was a lot of talking, which is usual for Babylon 5, but I was noticing these scenes when they were going through the logistics, the 
filling in of lore and exposition. And I realized that, oh, it isn't bringing me in on the adventure. And the adventure isn't happening. And I don't mean the adventure needs to be shooty-shooty. Adventure can be the character scenes. The adventure can be the momentum. And what this actually had was very un-Babylon 5. Now, I want to just say, though, to counter that, there's a lot of Babylon 5 stuff that's good in here that we'll get to, but the un-Babylon 5 thing that really smacked me across the face, especially when we're in season 4, is Technobabble. Babylon 5 usually doesn't have extremes amount of Technobabble. This felt like Star Trek, especially Star Trek Voyager, in terms of how much time is spent going over the technology and the logistics and the blah 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 And that type of babble just extended out to other avenues. Oh, we've got to go over the ancient history of the Vorlons and this and this and this. And it was Race just... memories and are a thing. And it just, it just brought me out of it because every time I was getting in, I realized it was because of those beautifully written character scenes. I loved everything with Zach Allen in this. In this. And it's not just because Zach's a great character, but because he wasn't burdened by all of that. And I, the, there was moments where I loved Lita, but then there was moments where I hated Lita because of what they were doing with her. Yeah. It was very like, oh, frustrating. Wh- whatever's convenient is what these characters need to do, because we've got to make this work. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you specifically about Technobabble and about and its relationship to Babylon 5 because we actually haven't had that much of a conversation about it in Babylon 5. When we do Star Trek, lots of our conversations go back to their exposition or conversations about whatever the the sci-fi mumbo-jumbo is. But we actually don't tend to do that too often with B5. What do you think about just that and how it's different here in third space? Yeah, uh, I guess it's the focus is different. Like in Babylon 5, it's not usual for the technology to carry the plot. But in this particular special, it does. You need to understand the artifact, the power, the context. So there's a lot of exposition that needs to be delivered because they assume that the audience doesn't have any of this info yet or they don't know anything. So they've got to deliver what's new and what's old in a way doesn't put off the audience and I don't think it succeeds how with 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 science fiction television it seems like it's always a given that to communicate themes plot character world building and such and such you're going to have to have the the Geordie LaForge explaining why the engine isn't working in this moment scenes or all of the the talk in Doctor Who about 
oh, flux, you know, oh, I've got to reverse the polarities and and things of that nature. Uh, I'm just really in awe of the fact that Babylon 5 doesn't weigh itself down with that. It does it enough where we understand what's happening, but it doesn't do it do it so much that I I roll my eyes and notice it. And so when it happened here, I was just disappointed that it sunk so low to do that. I uh, it was one of those things where it doing it now has made me realize that for f- pretty much four seasons it's been avoiding doing that or it's been finding very clever ways to sidestep those and in a way yeah. it failing here has made me have a greater appreciation for how jms tends not to fall into this uh yeah. common trap of but the it, genre it also makes it feel more disappointing because it's like well they managed to do it in tighter time constraints why couldn't they afford to do that here? Like, you didn't let me down before, but now you've let me down so it feels like it's worse in a way, as well as making me appreciate what came before and what we're going to go back to. What, why do you think it is that? Why do you think this, uh, this special has has fallen down that well? Do you have any theories or or thoughts on it i i started questioning something during it and i think that it may play into this i was asking you how much of a plan was there for this idea because it feels like one that jms probably had in the original five-year plan the show bible that he developed for fucking ages Mm -hmm. but one that he was like that's just maybe in the background that's for me to know that like the idea of obviously um the lingering impacts of the shadows and the volons is something that they're set up in the show that is followed through on in the main series. So the idea of them encountering something that's Vorlon-based and to do with their history makes a lot of sense. And JMS having an answer somewhat to is our universe the only reality? Because and theories as to where jump gates came from as well, but it uh, her theory about this being like the first jump gate well, it was is doesn't not even incorrect. seem true. No, but uh, what you're getting at is this is JMS filling out random pieces of world and lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I think is the the key issue here. Because there were so many uh, almost dead ends or weird rabbit holes we fell down in third space that completely ruined the pacing. And although could have been intriguing, could have been spooky in the moment, you stand away from it going, what did that actually add to the story? Like Avonova having the dream with Via. Yeah. What did that really give us? It's How did it impact It's inconsequential. Here it is. 
padding out time. This is a story where maybe all of this stuff was in JMS's show Bible. Doesn't matter to me if it was or wasn't, but it's clear to me that these ideas were not enough to sustain 90 minutes in their own. Maybe they could have been sustained in three or four or five episodes spread across two seasons, but that's different to being condensed all down into a five-act structure for a TV film. And I know that this is the case in part because the best scene, the best scene in this is infamous for being a scene created to get it to the movie length because originally it was came up short. So the scene with Zach Allen in the tube talking to Lita was a last second addition. Jeff Conaway managed to learn those lines and get it pretty much in one take. And it's hilarious to know that that was the one added because to me, it's it's the saving grace of third space. It's the thing I think about the most. It's the one that I go back to when it comes to the the sequences in this feature, in this 90 minutes. And so to me, all of these scenes where they're, they're painstakingly going through the, this is how everything works and blah, blah, mm. blah, is the common rookie mistake of trying to pad it out because See, JMS usually would have really detailed character scenes, but that takes time to create. Yeah. You know what's easy? Just action. Not just action. Action, baby. Action. People just long sequences of people just spookily staring at things. Uh lots of lots of lots of lots of scenes of just recapping what's happening in the show as well as what's happening in this movie. Just lots of scenes of Characters also just standing around, just theorizing about what's happening right now. And, of course, the big scenes of, here's the explanation of what is happening. Lita Alexander will be the glowing-eyed being that gives us everything we need to know. And that scene will go on and on and on. They are anti-life itself. Older even than we were telepathic all of them they modify the gate so that it enhances their telepathic impulses created an army of our own people willing to die for them we fought them back disabled the device but those of us controlled by their influence dropped it into hyperspace before we could stop them a thing that i think really would have helped grapple this even more and I, I think this is a recurring issue for the TV movies. There's no central focused character. There's no character in specific yeah. we're following on this. That happened in The Gathering as well. Sinclair wasn't the main guy in that. He kind of was, but it was it was a smattering of everyone else as well. And that's fair. It's a pilot. Here, who he doesn't have that excuse. Is, is, it, a, is it Sheridan? Is it Ivanova? Is it Zach? Is it is well, it Veer? Is it Lita? The DVD has Elizabeth Trent, Sheridan, and Ivanova on it. Mm. So, well, she's yeah. Elizabeth Trent's like the antagonist in a, yeah. in a sense. So that's fair. so that's what they were told to put on the cover. <laughs> so I guess that's what they think the main characters are. 
It's like, but Zach is really important. I think Zach was more of a lead character in, in this than Sheridan. Sheridan, Sheridan a lot of gets his scenes, to save the day, though. That's it. Sheridan gets to save the day because he's he gets Johnny Sheridan. Monologues. He gets the monologues, but a lot of his actual moments within Third Space is just gruffly saying, We need this, like this, or else this will happen. And then at the end, he's like, oh, I'll save the day too. Zach, I think, had a lot more character progression during this. He was contending with a lot of things. He was managing it. But also on a personal level, he went through quite a lot during this experience as well. I, I think Zach would have been an interesting lead character in this story. In fact, I think JMS tied his own hands together by having Sheridan be in it as much as he was. because. Sheridan's our main guy. TNT wants you to watch Babylon 5 where Bruce He's Boxleitner's the in it. bankable star. There's a universe where the lead characters of this story are Lita Alexander and Zach Allen and uh, and maybe and Ivanova, I would say. Those would be the three characters I would focus on the most, but uh, it just doesn't it just it almost gets there. Like, Lita Alexander was a focus for a bit, and then she just zoned out, went crazy, and then became boring. Yeah, and then it kind of comes back to her, but not fully. Like, it's very odd, the statement that I'm going to make, but hopefully at least Ryan will understand. Mm. Third Space doesn't commit hard enough. No. It's scared. It doesn't dive into anything. It has this sense of being reserved and refrained in so many different ways, in so many different aspects. So I started getting into it and then it's like I hit an invisible wall of like, no, we can't do too much character development. No, we can't rely on you knowing this. No, we have to tell you this again. Like you were getting into the groove of it and now it's exposition time and, mm. okay, I'm, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, I'm getting into it, and then it's like action scene because we need to wake up the audience. No, no, that's not what I want right now. The biggest critique... I can make negatively on this, and you don't understand this because you haven't seen it, but this type of uh, presentation in terms of writing and the visuals at points as well is very much a precursor of what Crusade was. There was so much of Crusade's DNA in this, more than Babylon 5 to me, and I'm not a fan of Crusade, I don't like it. And it's not all on JMS's uh, part that Crusade failed, but some of his writing from Crusade onwards, whether it was in comic books or television or films, there's just something a little bit off about it. There's just something a little bit corny, way more corny. That was the thing I also noted down was this was really cheesy. I felt the 90s cheesiness just radiating off of third space mm. more than Babylon 5 usually has. And I have been one to enjoy cheese, but there was just something about it here that just left a bad taste in my mouth, similar to Crusade. No, I was thinking about Crusade when I was watching this because I was like, 
I want I, this feels similar to the complaints that Ryan's had about Crusade of like it's there but it's not there so it's nothing enough that it just makes it annoying rather than interesting. Let's crack open the artifact itself, the thing that Third Space is propelled by, this big giant MacGuffin that everyone's after. We find out the lore that back in the day, the Vorlons got so high and mighty, they thought of themselves as beyond this universe, beyond this region, and so they wanted to break into another dimension, another plane of existence, to become gods even more. And so they made this big huge jump gate that opens up into a third space but little did they know that the door opens both ways and things from that dimension can come out here and these creatures are the ultimate assholes they're anti-life and so they are the elitists of thinking that they're the top dog and no other life form in the universe should exist, so they will kill all of the life forms. We have heard of this type of uh, alien race or being in many pieces of media. Just even saying anti-life makes me think of Darkseid from DC with his uh, anti-life equation. And uh, recently we watched Farscape as well, which had the, the, uh, the Nabari, not to get confused with Minbari, the Nabari who were... Uh, elitists who thought that everyone else in the universe was littler than them and they didn't deserve to exist. Uh, unfortunately, the Nabari plot didn't go anywhere in Farscape, nope. but uh, it would have been awesome. And that's the thing. This doesn't go anywhere either. I, I always think about in Crusade, they make a weird choice of making the the, the Druk, the, the out-and-out bad guys, which I, when we get to those later movies... I'll have plenty of complaints about the Druk being the bad guys in Crusade, but here, I'm like, these could have been the bad guys in Crusade. Somehow they came back. Hey, can you explain to me, there was this weird moment of exposition lore dump where Delenn asks the question that we ask of, oh, well, why can't they make a, a jump gate thing that opens up to us? And Lita has some line about, like, oh, oh, no, no, you see... We have to have our door open so yes. that they can come in. Why? What does that mean? Did did they have a door open for when we came in? Yeah. How did they know that? So They didn't even know that there was another universe out there until the Vorlons came in. The Vorlons basically opened a door and said, hello, yeah. but like by Lita's logic... They wouldn't have been able to do that. No, my understanding... Sorry, I'll rephrase that. My assumption... Your your interpretation. Yes. Was that they are so advanced uh, that they had gotten to the same place as the Volans of making the, uh, these gates and that whatever, like whatever thing they have on their side will link up to anything that's the same in other dimensions or other parts of the universe. Mm. So it's like, um, now to 
I it's can't just, even be bothered to think of an analogy. It's just very murky, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Also, it's like, how, oh, because oh, we need, we can't go through there and destroy it on their end. So it has to be enough to mm. say that we need to destroy ours and that they can't build another one and get through on their own. It was a, it was a very sneaky, sleazy line. From Lita to basically allow it that yeah. that John, you can blow up our one, and this will never happen again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you, also, how old is this gate? Because the archaeologists found out that it had like carbon dating and back to a, a million, million years. years. But then Lita said it happened a couple of centuries ago, and then another comment said a few thousand years ago. So when did this incident happen? Like, I could not keep a track because the thing is, no matter what, that period of time, you're telling me this elite race never figured out technology to keep breaking through, and it seems like they treat it like they're never going to figure it out, which, or if they do, it'll be a dark day on us all. Uh, I like the idea, look, look, for all of the messiness of it, I like this notion that there is an even more powerful, more arsehole race in another dimension. Yeah, but I like that too. Does Babylon 5 need that? That's a thing. Does Babylon 5 need that? Do they need a Terran Empire? No. And it's not even a Terran Empire. Do no. they need, after they've entered the third age of mankind, to be told, actually, there's another evil old race that could kill us all? that want to blow up whole civilizations. It was very hilarious when the Vorlon memory thing inside Lita was sorrowfully saying, like, these guys are bad. They want to destroy thousands of civilizations. I mean, you guys were doing that too. I mean, you literally were just doing that. There was no comment on that irony there. No. Unless that was one of the many mistakes the Vorlons made. Well, it was about their pride. But what isn't about their pride? One mistake. One mistake out of so many, so many others. I like the archaeology team. I thought they were very good. I really like their dynamic of him being the more mild-mannered, cautious one and her being the the power-hungry go-getter. Yeah. And, and those- the worker be a, a, a like assembly line mm. of people like yeah the what, what was it the army ants army ants yeah that's that was behind great. the two of them that's enabling them to mm. do these things there were many great conversations and themes hit upon when those characters were involved in the story. I adored the conversation about how IPX can do everything and how they do it. But it's not just uh, the logistics, but more the sentiment of business is more important than politics. Uh, mm. you, you, we may live in a fascist society at the moment, but capitalism fuels that, baby, and it's above that. And ooh, ooh, that's the type of meaty material I like seeing dug into in Babylon 5 because this is a society that still is running on consumerism and capitalism and all that dough. 
And IPX has always been in the background as this thing fueling that. And I just yeah. thought the conversations that uh, that doc- those two characters had, where he was also a sentimentalist. He was looking at it from the genuine points of science. Well, her version of science was very sensationalized. Oh, that's science for you. Whenever anything was spiraling out of control, she would just cover it with, oh, that's science. Where you get the sense of she knows what science and archaeology is, on the on the basic level, but she knows it deep enough to use it as an excuse to do anything she wants as a pragmatic yeah. business person. And I, I thought she was a great antagonist in Babylon Five, where she was uh, very hungry for power, very driven, but. There was always a level of uh, internal reason that you, the audience, could follow along with her. Where I would scratch my, I would pull my hair out, going, "Oh, this bitch! I, I hate her." But I was never not believing that she exists. There was never that level of, say, a season one antagonist like a uh, uh, um, uh, Franklin's doctor mentor guy, yeah. where he was just money, money, Stephen, money. She was far more than just money. She 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 wanted legacy, she wanted power, she wanted just that carnal knowledge, uh very tying into the Lovecraftian themes going on in third space. Uh and I, I was devastated when she, she killed her her uh her colleague and I thought they shot Bill that very Bill should still be alive. Bill Justice for Bill. Justice for Bill. Uh, what are some moments you want to touch upon when it comes to third space? Any any favorable things for you? Zach is beautiful. He is great at his job, and I love him. Zach is a is is easily one of my favorite characters, and he gets so many wonderful moments here in in this. I mentioned it earlier. The last second edition of him talking to Lita in the in the lift, it in any other person's hands could be really cringy and embarrassing to a degree that is uh, negatively impacting. Now, it is cringy, and it is embarrassing, and it is awkward. That's by design. But it isn't uh, where it genuinely repels me and makes me think of this negatively. While that could easily have been the case, but uh, Jeff Conway really nails this performance. Uh, Patricia Tolman's doing her bit too. She's she's crazy and weird. She's licking her lips a lot in the scene. It's, it's really amusing to me. I think it was shot really well, and I, I liked how he articulated his, his feelings. Uh, he yeah. was genuinely open and raw, and I felt bad for the guy. I feel something for you. I do feel something for you. Oh, my baby. I adored the scene with him and Lita and the awkwardness of that and the vulnerability. I like that it emphasised that he's not just... Looking at her like eye candy, like Garibaldi no. did with Talia. This is this yeah. is deeper. This okay. is something more. And for a guy like him, where the world is crazy and the main character syndrome of Sheridan is something that's more important than somebody like Zach, and he emphasizes, he talks about that. Where yeah, I may not be the captain, I may not have all the big bucks, but I have a good heart underneath it all, and I'm just trying my best. That's why he is one of my favorite characters, Zach, because he is the down and out guy. He is the common man. Yeah, he's the chief of security, but 
he's just a he's just some schlub trying to make it in this world and I, I i really connected with that my favorite zach moment outside of the tube scene was when uh deuce by the way came back can we just uh love deuce why is he here why did they? Why is Deuce Deuce from know. Grail? They acknowledge Deuce. that it's Deuce. They don't play it off as another. He has his scarf again. Of course, yeah. it's Deuce. It's the same scarf. Like they kept the scarf, Rachel. Why the fuck is Deuce here? Like I love the actor, but Grail was a terrible episode. Deuce was a shit character. He didn't even. It didn't need to be Deuce. It could have been literally anyone. But they made the call to get him. So strange, but he is very important to the Zack scene I love, where Deuce is doing the Lovecraftian weird thing where he's talking about cities that you haven't seen and all of this mystical crap mumbo-jumbo, and he's doing the thing where it's supposed to be creepy, and I... I'm not a Lovecraftian person. I I never find any of that stuff genuinely unsettling or creepy. I find it very... Uh, let's be generous and say dull. Uh, it does not tingle me in any way. And so when he's doing that, I'm just sitting there going, oh, okay. And then it cut instantly to Zach Allen just very, very brashly dismissing all of this being, ah, all right, I've heard enough. And I, I cheered so loud. Jeff Conway just hit that line delivery perfect he he nailed that i it's one of my favorite zach moments i've ever seen in in all of babylon 5 and that's the frustrating thing about third space is it has these little nuggets of some of the greatest material like veer has some amazing mo- moments here there was that sequence that you really liked and you you were saying to me when you were watching this oh i have seen third space i'm remembering some of it now and then via said a line and you looked at me and your jaw was a you know, open and you were just like oh i didn't realize that that amazing via line was in third space yeah. You've only seen, seen Third Space once before this, and yet the line that mm-hmm. stuck with you was... The others, they don't trust anyone, especially when it comes to money. Would you like me to speak to them? No, no, no. It's not the speaking that's the problem. It's, it's the listening. He is saying that it doesn't matter who says it, they are not going to listen to it because they don't trust anybody else. And we see how that spirals out during the episode, especially when people are telepathically controlled. Uh, but even outside of that, people who aren't telepathically controlled are losing it too. Zach and Franklin are, 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 are snapping at each other, and neither of them are mentally controlled. They've just, no, just really reached their, yeah. their end with they're it. They're stressed out. Uh, they're, they're stressed. But Via has some amazing moments. He's horny in this. I love when he talked to Ivanova. Again, though, what did any of that have to do with the rest of it? Why did Ivanova have any of the nightmare vision stuff, honestly? It didn't really help contribute to much. No. No. Again, it didn't go fully in. There's it a, didn't dive in. There's an episode, there's a version of this where that stuff would have been given more to Lita. To help flesh Lita's time out so she isn't just writing crazy shit on the walls. Which, by the way, stop doing that. Stop doing that. I, 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 hate, I hate that. 
I hate you that. You do, you do. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm riding on the walls and the floor. Ooh, shut up. Was, I hated it in Dark City when I was a kid, and I hate it now. It's just so goddamn cheesy, man. And if you're going to do it, make her do it with her own blood or something. You know, go full <laughs> ham. If you're going to go there, go full ham. Go, 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 go all the way or not at all. Uh, any other moments that you really enjoyed here? I think oh, Delenn and I John had some genuinely and great flirting. And attention to detail with the Zach scene before we do move on, which was the way that Zach held the debriefing uh, about the increase of violence. So there's one human security guard, there's a couple of non behind him and some other humans. But they're all, like, standing to attention. Looking straight ahead. Yep, in this formation, and Zach's walking around him as the security officer gives the exposition of, like, what's going on and following up what we've just seen. And he doesn't look at Zach. He stays in place, at attention, following procedures, following protocol. Zach's not mirroring that. He's very casual no, in how he's walking he's around and his, in his, command. His yeah. So he doesn't need he's the one in charge. So he gets to move where he wants. Because he's in control of the situation. He's in command and owning that. And we see that a bunch with like when military people are being like interrogated or debriefed in this kind of um, the mm. way that they've done with the blocking mm. in this particular scene. And that's not something that we ever got to see with Garibaldi. No, Garibaldi was far more relaxed with his uh, leadership in that way. Yeah, and it's like, hey, one Zach, of the things what's that, going on? What really buttons it together is he stops the guy that just gave all of the information before he leaves and just really genuinely connects with him and tells him that he did a good job and you know, get some rest, you've done great. Where you can tell that Zach is now the chief of security and he's trying to put on that air of being the chief of security, of being the guy who's like, okay, everyone, yeah. we've got to do our jobs, we've got to do it the best we can. But he is still a common guy and he's going to connect with him as a fellow security person. And that's what makes Zach such a better character than Garibaldi in this role. Zach doesn't want the responsibility, but when given it, he's going to do his he's going to do his best, but he doesn't get power mad with it. Like when no. him and Franklin are snapping at each other. He does his job. When him and Franklin are snapping at each other, it's not the same as when Franklin and Garibaldi snap at each other. No. It's very different and it's it's a, it's a subtle touch of writing and acting. Uh, when it comes to some brilliant writing and acting, I thought Delenn and John had some wowzer, smoochy, cutesy flirting scenes. I Some of my favorite flirting scenes yeah. were in this. I, I really like that whole bit about John's little eyes and how they light up and they say, <laughs> mine, mine, mine. And, <laughs> that was sweet. Or when John was left floating in space at the end. And uh, it's not funny, Delenn. It's not funny. It's, 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 don't you laugh. And I'll do time. <laughs> and she's like, it is funny, John. It is funny. I, and I, it's left there. I... I uh, 
their chemistry, even when they're not physically in the same set together, is just it's magnetic, and、uh, that's what makes the plot of this so trite to me. And we've actually mentioned this about,、uh, especially in season three and season two of B Five. A lot of the plots of episodes are, are standard science fiction stories. They're they're not the most uh, 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 mind shattering. Sometimes Star Trek would have some really wowza sci fi episodes, but Babylon Five has、uh, has more impressive character based scenes that elevate all of the sci fi ness and. That's what I wish Third Space embraced more of. Embraced more of the flirting. Embraced more of Zach Allen stuff. Go all of in. Go all in. Uh, uh, they went all in on the action. The sci-fi shooty shooty laser stuff was gorgeous. They had some really creative shots, but also the the hand to hand physical combat. I often have talked about how I zone out with that with science fiction TV, but they were really really creative here. A guy got his arm. Set on fire. Zach got a、uh, uh, bottle thrown at、so、him. I was so disappointed that he didn't use his flaming arm to punch the dude that he encounters on the stairs. I was waiting for it, and he doesn't do it. He just kind of holds it there, and I was like, "Oh god, that would have been awesome." There was funny background gags and fights, like people who were just zoned out. So you had this intense sequence of fighting, but then you see one or two people just standing completely still, just looking with no focus. It was that. Stuff was very amusing and and spooky, but more so amusing to me. Or people who are about to punch each other and then they realize that oh no, we're on the same side, and then they just punch someone else. Really great attention to detail when it came to the stunts.、Uh, Jeff Conaway got to do a lot, but here's something: Ivanova、mm-hmm. got a fight scene, a proper. Hand to hand, I'm gonna kick some ass. We don't see Avonova、no. do that. Avonova is a badass. Avonova is god. But a lot of her badassery comes from how she commands, rather than、True. her getting her dukes up and punching somebody. That's Sheridan's thing.、Mm. Heck, even Garibaldi doesn't do a lot of hand to hand combat stuff. That's usually left to Sheridan to do. But what did you think about just that? Of Avonova、uh, got to have a badass fight scene. I loved it, which is why Third Space is not good, but it's not a complete write-off either, which makes it frustrating in a very unique way. Because it's like I want to watch clips from it, but I don't want to have to sit through all of the bullshit. But I wouldn't appreciate the clips if they weren't in the context of the other shit. You think anybody would notice if I just killed a few of them? Well, how many? I don't know. Ten?、Uh, oh yeah, they don't. Six? Go for it. Let's turn on the spotlights. The part of the show where we shine a massive spotlight on a guest star or recurring actor, minor, big, doesn't matter. And with this being a television movie, that means we have some people that are only going to come in for this. So,、uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about William Sanderson as Deuce because he's already been here. We didn't talk about him in Grail either. <laughs> But we're not talking about him. I already asked、nope. my question of why the hell's he here. But we have to talk about our, our head Elizabeth of, Trent. Elizabeth Trent, the woman from IPX, who 
Her character has some interesting twists and turns in the story, and I, I in the end, I, I fell out of love with the character. I, I enjoyed her for the most of it, but to praise the actor, it was not on their performance at all. They were the thing that performance kept the character interesting, but I just lost. I just lost it with them over the course of this because of the the stretched out pacing, the writing. But that performance, I thought she was a really great uh, return to the shitty human characters. We haven't had a good shitty human on Babylon Five in a while. That isn't Besta. Uh, we yeah. had Dan. We had Dan Randall. Dan yeah. Randall was different though. Mm. But this was a return to form of oh, remember the old shitty business humans that we would get. Uh, so who is the actor we're talking about? I believe her name is pronounced Shari Belafonte. Ah, Belafonte. Mm-hmm. Any relation to Harry? Yes. Harry Belafonte? Yes. You were the one that told me this act, so why don't you take it, right? <laughs> She's the daughter. She's the daughter of the Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't... Yeah, uh, yeah. she has, um... A lot of relatives that are in the biz. And I, I, like, you've already kind of said that you like her performance, and so do I. I think she works very well with what she's given, which is somewhere between okay for a guest spot on a TV movie, but below the quality that some of the guest spots on the regular series have gotten. Can I ask you something? We do this spotlight, so we can have a more definitive answer on this than a Uh lot of other people. What makes a a random actor coming into B5 click with the series? Like, What is it about B5 as, as a franchise, as a thing, where... Actors can or cannot gel with it. Like, what is the thing that an actor brings in where they they just slot in right into place? We've talked about when they fail, yeah. but what about when they succeed? Because I think she succeeds at yes. being somebody who's like, oh yeah, this is somebody who who gets mm-hmm. Babylon Five. I think a lot of the ones that do it successfully already know people on the crew, so. They slot into the world because they aren't carrying that same level of apprehension about, oh, I'm meeting all of these new people and doing this new job and I've got to try and be good enough for the show but also be good enough to make connections and not piss anybody off if they're, like, you know, trying to make a proper go of it. So the characters that don't feel like they're acting is a big tick for me. And some a lot of the time that is because we find out that they know somebody or they've worked with people before. So there's a level of ease that they come into the production with. There's also the quality of the scripts and the level of characterization that they're given and the degree of support that they have by the people that they're in scenes with. Are those people the kind of actors like Peter and Andreas 
that level up other people's performances just by being around them and they pull them up? Or is it somebody that doesn't have that same quality to their performance, even though they themselves are good, but they don't spar against people and let sparks fly in that same way. So it depends also who they're with True. in terms of things but and what they have to deliver as well. I agree. Uh, other than the basic, obviously, talent and getting into the meat of what the character is and what their function is in the story and the themes, what I think is a recurring trait of what makes a great guest star is the ones who find an understanding the wavelength of Babylon 5 uh, as the science fiction series it is of its the 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 sweet spot that the series has of being in between optimism and cynicism because we have characters like this one where she is a very uh, cynical character on the writer's part of here is the evil business person. But you have to have the actor come in and mm. live and breathe that and make it realistic rather than yeah. a hitting on the head clumsily of the show. And the hopefulness, the optimism, because she has an arc, the character. But even outside of that, there's so many characters and so many actors whether they play good guys or bad guys, where they they just find that that harmony of how Babylon 5 for what it is, is a show with a deep amount of cynicism and a deep amount of optimism. So you have actors like John Vickery who plays mm-hmm. Naroon, where he can just flick between both of those things so well. And I yeah. think this actress really found a balance of that, where she wasn't just... I'm evil, sleazy, business, business. No, no, there was more to it than that. And you could read certain things into it, like her level of frustration and where she is, her excitement about getting her name in the textbooks, but her cynicism about it because it's just like, for a thousand years. So it's like the time limit's placed on it. And just being aware of how things work. So, uh, have you seen this particular performer in any other show or movie by any chance? I have not. No, uh, she's I... in a bunch of things, but yeah. none of which I've really I like, encountered. Oh, yeah, I know that, but I don't know if I've seen that episode. She's she still does... working as well. Yeah, she does a lot of one-off uh, TV spots. Live action and some voice work as well. She has a great voice. So she's known for Hotel, 1983, Plastic Daydream, 2018, and Primrose Lane, 2015, according to IMDb. And then it also lists her ex-husband and her current husband. There you go. So you have not seen her in anything in particular. No, but I did find some interesting stuff. Well. Yeah. Not as interesting as our last guest. <laughs> as interesting Spotlight. as Jeff Griggs. Uh, <laughs> no. No one no. ever will be, I doubt. Um, <laughs> no, I found out that, like her first credit uh, is listed on a bunch of lost media websites. Really? 
Gab. Okay, give me the give me the goss. She was in an episode of ABC Weekend Specials. And this was when she was about twenty five that she was in this. And she was in the the second part of the big hex of little Lulu. Okay. And little Lulu is this comic strip that was very popular and like because uh so abc weekend specials focused in on bringing classic children's literature to the screen yes 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 i'm i'm familiar with this actually yeah okay yeah, 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 yeah. That's the know-it-all. Not the specific thing. Um, but, yeah. uh, but unfortunately, it, IMDb doesn't have any character name for her. But, um, yeah, so it's been lost because it only aired twice, its initial airing and once after, because the ownership of Little Lulu was in so many different places mm. that they couldn't they couldn't own they, they couldn't yeah, keep they, it they couldn't keep it and they couldn't show it again and they couldn't mm. print it because of the issue of the copyright stuff Babylon 5 is also known for its weird copyright stuff JMS has all of the copyright or all, all of the stuff for the movie rights but he doesn't have the TV show rights mm-hmm. yeah so yep. that's why Say the the Babylon Five series can be available and streaming more easily, but the movies are a pain in the ass. So, or sometimes it's the opposite way around. Yeah. I love looking into the weird copyright ownership holdings of these properties and shows, and even weird, obscure things like this because. We like to think in this age of the internet that nothing can be lost media yeah. now, but there's so many shows mm-hmm. over the past decade, let alone oh, things from back then, and that let you cannot alone find. stuff that was originally aired on the BBC. Oh, well, they burned their things. Yes. Yeah, that's different. They burned it or reused stock, yeah, whatever. Yeah, taped over it, yeah. Um, that's Australia. We tape over it. Yes. And then the other thing that I noted down was just a title that made me smile. Okay. Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk. Okay. That's something she starred in? Yep. That's it. Uh, that was What's in the her plot? credits. What's the plot? Is, it, is she the Jesus Jerk? No. <laughs> she didn't confess then. Oh, well. Uh... I I love finding these uh, uh random pieces of work that these actors are in, and they have these ludicrous titles. And I try to imagine not only what it is, but this actor being in it. Okay, giving the it's performance a- from the Babylon Five. I'm looking at the plot summary. Thank you. It's a period piece. Yes, what period? I want you to guess. Is it actually Jesus times? Mm-mm. 18th century. Yeah. No, it's American. Civil War. Oh, depression. Fifties. How close am I? You're getting closer is by it, moving. Is it the sixties? Uh, no. No. That's Reagan years. 
Oh, is that period for when it came out? Yeah, because it came out in 2017. Oh, this is recent. Yeah. Oh. A teenage boy coming of age during the Reagan years discovers that he really enjoys many per- p- pleasurable things. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of gathered as soon as Reagan came up on Jesus, I'm like, oh, I reckon that, this is going to be about being gay, right? That are frowned upon by mm-hmm. his family and their religion. And Reagan. Definitely Reagan, too. It's got a whopping 735 ratings on IMDb. Ooh, and it's a 10 out of 10, right? 5.9 out of 10. Oh, no, out of 10. Oh. Oh, well. Uh, I'll make sure to uh, give that a watch uh, at some point. I'm at Jehovah's Place of Worship. I'm on holy ground, and I'm thinking of breasts. What is wrong with me? Are we good to rate on our scale of yum being bad and yum yum being good? Third space. What on the yum yum scale do we give it? It's a yum from me. Yum. It's a yum from me. Yum. Who uh, who in this episode would have said yum yum? By the way. Oh yeah, we didn't do that. Who in this uh TV film? Uh, would have said yum yum. I, I I have a person in mind, but uh, I'm curious if there's anyone that's jumping for you. Deuce. Damn, I didn't even have Deuce on my list. Oh, I was too busy okay. thinking, why is he here? <laughs> uh, mine was Veer. Yeah, Veer in all forms. Mm. He was he was okay. he was veering it up. But you know what? Let's give it to Deuce. He's not going to come back and get it ever again. This is his last. T- why is he here? Why? Oh, deuce. At least we got him, I guess. Deuce. Deuce. Like a poo. Deuce. I have a bonus for you. I love bonuses. Um, Are we raising the price? Yes, we are. I'm getting a bonus. Yay. I'm getting paid more. You're getting a bonus description of third space. Ooh, mm, please feed me more third space. Our DVDs don't have descriptions. (gasps) But somebody else's does. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this may be from actually a VHS. Even better! Though there are multiple versions of like VHS slash older DVD collector edition things that have different ones. But this is the one that I think matches the vibe of our traditional DVD descriptions that are obviously written by JMS, of course. Once the artifact came into contact with Babylon 5, there was no stopping the chain of events that unfolded. The artifact became the focal point of terror and mayhem until it could be shut down. And then this has quotes from the episode. Thank you. Underneath it as well. Awesome. I love that. It, it, oh, of one of her, I had ladies. Uh-uh. That's one of the quotes, right? No. Corwin quotes. No, no, I don't want to hear any fucking Corwin quotes. We're I've moving lived, the no, struts of the it. jump gates to allow it to come stop through. Stop it. It's that big? Bigger. Bigger. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. I was, you know, I felt a little guilty giving it a yum, but not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Oh. oh. I want to talk about what we'll be watching next time on Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5.
episode nine of season four, Atonement. Concerned over her relationship with Sheridan, Minbari leadership summons Delenn to Minbar. There, she enters the exploratory state of the dreaming and emerges with a truth striking at the heart of Minbar notions of purity. Ooh, purity! And that there <laughs> we got is what we'll be talking about next time on the podcast. Random Minbari. A lot of Minbari action. Lot of no Liniam. No. I thought he appeared and then it was just another Minbari guy. No, I'm pretty sure it was like the same two Minbari guys. That Whatever. Just got there was a Minbari lady. All of them. Yes. She got a lot of blood on her head. They bloodied her, they bloodied mm-hmm. her up. And that is all we have. People make sure to give Atonement a watch in the interim of time. You can follow us on your social media. Medias of choice under Yum Yum Pod or, or Yum Yum, Yum, Yum Podcast. Podcast, or you can email at us, or you can email us at, or you can email, <laughs> or you. <laughs> you interrupted me with such fucking confidence, and you can't get it. You can, email- or you can email us. <laughs> Give it up. Pass no, it. Pass it. No. To, pass no. it to Daddy Yum Yum. <laughs> no. Or you could choose to email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com. Another way to communicate to us, you can only get through signing up to our Patreon, which we do have, which is under Yum Yum Podcast as well. All in the description. We have a private Discord. We have a group Discord. You can message us on there. You can give us your fiery takes instantly, as well as uh, joining our Patreon. You get to support the podcast, help us out. You get a load of bonus content. We're talking about Space Above and Beyond on there. We're talking about the Alien franchise, the X-Men franchise, and every fortnight we give our thoughts on a random uh, topic. Television shows we've been watching, podcasts we've been listening to, games we've been playing. You can get all of that. There's just so much there. You can hear our thoughts on uh, Star Trek. There's, oh, oh, so, so many goodies on there for you. Uh, So come on over. Just do it. Uh, Jakar was not in third space. He didn't show up. No Londo either. We got other nans. But no Jakar. He was not here to be awoken by aliens from another dimension whose, whose greeting is good eating to you. And he says, no, that's a farewell. And then he smacks his chest and says, Good eating to you! And I would say to him, Good eating to you, Jakar.